Welcome to Live Your Own Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Jacobs, joined with my co-host, Jamie L. Jacobs. And today we are giving you triathlon tips and there will be something for every level, I promise you, from beginner to elite. Uh, We won't leave anyone out. We're going to talk about many, many different layers just from some basic equipment, basic tips, through to mindset, overcoming anxieties and how to get the most out of your performance and your body on the race course, in training, in recovery, just the key basic parts of what you need to do to train for a triathlon and compete in a triathlon and achieve your goals. So, James, great to have you here with us as a competitive age grouper who's won uh, quite a few 70.3 races and only got into the sport in their late 20s. So your perspective will be invaluable here for a lot of our listeners. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. So the main thing about setting a goal and that goal being triathlon is that you want to get fitter and you want to achieve something and accomplish something because that sense of accomplishment is so big, especially in triathlon. And part of that is that you want to move more and you want to get healthier. And the key to remember is that any movement is beneficial. So don't get too caught up on how much you're swimming, how much you're biking, how much you're running. Just in the big picture of things, all movement is good movement. Uh, Any exercise routine that is sustainable, that is something that you enjoy, uh, is what you should be doing and you will be able to have it as a long-term goal um, and you'll be able to enjoy it long-term. So if you enjoy running more, then run more. And if you enjoy swimming more, then swim more. Likewise, if you bike more, bike more. And not necessarily always work on your weakness. A lot of people say you should always work on your weakness, but then sometimes your strength can drop away too far. So in the case of Steve Larson, who was one of the, the Ironman's greatest bike riders, came in as a bike rider. He then worked on his run a bit more so, and his results actually dropped. Whereas when he was focused on bike riding, uh, he was so strong and he wasn't even running that many kilometers. So that was when he had his best results and they were some amazing results as well. Um, so yeah, focus on what you enjoy, focus on your strengths. But if there are some weaknesses, work on technique more so than putting more time and hours into that, which you may not enjoy. Focus on the technique side of getting that improvement. So we'll start with the swim since that's the first leg in the triathlon. And some good points for training are to practice in your wetsuit occasionally. Uh, It can feel quite restrictive for people. And something that can occur in a race is that people feel a bit anxious in the swim for starters, but then the wetsuit adds that sense of being slightly constricted. And then what might also happen is that if you start thrashing in the water a bit more and your stroke rate picks up, if you breathe every two and your stroke rate increases, your breathing will increase rapidly also. And that can lead to hyperventilating and feeling like you haven't got enough oxygen in your brain and your body will increase that level of anxiety, will increase that level of panic, and suddenly you're in this loop where your breathing's short and shallow, you haven't got enough oxygen, you're panicking more, so you breathe shorter, 
and that loop can get quite bad. And it has affected even elite athletes. So it's something to consider. What rate is your breathing at when you are in a race? So let's go back to training. In the pool in training, I do recommend people breathe every three so that you can, in a race, breathe every three if you need to. And I would recommend breathing every three in a race to maintain a slower breathing pattern. If you breathe every two and your stroke rate increases very rapidly, then your breathing will increase. So we want to try and avoid that. Um, Breathing every three means that you're going to breathe to both sides as well, which is much better for your training and your balance of your body, balance of your muscles, balance of your rhythm and everything else. Not to say you can't get in a great rhythm breathing every two, but if you're breathing every two, make sure that you've got nice long strokes. If you've got a very short choppy stroke that's very quick, then you know breathing every two might actually be causing a little bit of hyperventilating and you might be breathing too often to be receiving full benefits of the exercise that you're doing as in you're not building up any co2 in your body you're not training your body to have a highest level of co2 so therefore you are missing out on some physical fitness adaptations in uh, by over breathing Um, and over breathing can be an issue whether it's while in your training or whether it's just while you're sitting there doing nothing, very short, shallow breaths uh, is something that is definitely a health concern and um, sort of perpetuates that cycle, that loop of bad input, bad output um, and what your body's perception and feedback is of everything that it's experiencing. Um, so let's go right back to wetsuits. And yes, practicing in a wetsuit is a great thing. Uh, You may find that some places where it'll rub, where you need to put a little bit of Vaseline or something to stop that rubbing. But also the biggest part I feel about practicing in your wetsuit is practicing how to put it on properly. Because the whole point about putting on a wetsuit, uh, the key factor of how it will feel on race day is how well it's fitted. So getting used to putting it on properly. Where do you need to pull it up a bit more? Where do you need a friend to pull it around? Where do you need to adjust it? Here, there, everywhere. So that's a key part of the learning process of getting a wetsuit for starters. So when you're buying one, go see someone who can help fit it properly and make sure you get a good fit, but be practicing in it. It's all about making, learning how to fit the wetsuit as best as you can so that you're comfortable in it, you won't feel restricted in it, and you're not going to be pulling against the wetsuit as you stretch your arm out in front of you. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Pete. I know that myself, when I've jumped in and done some races, I'll either have a really good swim or not, and a lot of it has to do with how well I fitted the wetsuit. If it's not almost coming up my bottom and giving me a wedgie, then it's safe to say I haven't fitted it right and pulled it in all the right places. Um, A good way of doing that is just making sure you pull up the abdominal area. Often I find if I don't pull up my abdominal area of the wetsuit, then I, I have no hope of having a good fit. So that's a little bit of a tip there. And also just putting your nails through the wetsuit. I'm very good at that. So I would suggest, especially for the ladies out there, Do file down your nails or even have a little bit of Michael Jackson action and put on some gloves to put on your wetsuit because I've just ruined that many wetsuits putting my nails through them and it's not a very good look. (laughs) But at least the nails look good though. So it's a payoff, trade-off. Another major part of the swim 
is practicing and competing is the drafting part of it. So drafting mm. on somebody's hip or on their feet. On the hip, if you're a confident swimmer and you're comfortable swimming right up next to somebody on their hip, then practice that and do that in the race where you can. A key part of that is that you can actually make somebody else swim slower by sitting on their hip. So if you've got someone else mm, that... Cheeky, cheeky. Yeah, it's a, it's a little secret. But if somebody is sitting on your hip and you're trying to swim away from them, it's going to be incredibly hard to do so. It's almost like you're wearing drag shorts. So that plays into if someone's on your hip, you have to consider when do you try to get away from them. Maybe you have to swim across to the side a bit. Maybe you slow down and then wait till they go in front and then sort of go up on their hip and then sort of use their draft as a, as a boost to surge past them. So consider that, that if someone's on your hip, they're slowing you down. And if you're on somebody else's hip, you're slowing them down. So if you were two people trying to swim as fast as you can away from other people, you would swim one on the other person's feet. You wouldn't swim one on somebody else's hip. So that's just a little tip there. Um, but definitely practice swimming on somebody's hip to find that sweet spot of where it's fastest. And that's very easy to do in a pool on a quiet day. Just swim up and down the lane, swapping positions, and you'll feel when you're in the right spot. And the other person will really feel when you're in the right spot because they'll feel it really become harder for them to swim. Swimming on someone's feet is fairly self-explanatory. Just be as close as you can to their feet without tapping their feet every stroke and uh, totally annoying them. Um, Especially in training, absolutely in training. I just did a training race with the Noosa Tri Club and I had a girl on my feet tapping my feet the whole time and it was a training, a, just a, a training session and it was extremely annoying. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I am really interested by what you said before, Pete, about uh, the tactic of swimming on your hip. And I think as an age grouper, I've, I've never experienced um, or been in a race where you've had that um, opportunity, I suppose. So it's really interesting to hear how professional races maybe very different to the age groupers. I feel like we've got so many people in our wave just trying to pick your spot and a, a clear sighting to get to the boy in the, the shortest type, the line. Um, and then maybe if you're swimming through the, the wave in front of you, that's also an issue. So that's super interesting just hearing about the tactics that's at play in the pro race. Yeah, well, for you, Jamie, you're one of the better swimmers in your wave all the time. So you don't generally have many people to swim with. So you haven't always experienced being in a in a large group of people or having lots of hips or lots of feet to choose from. Um, but yeah, definitely. And then you've got sighting, as you said, swimming through people that are on a previous lap or just making a straight line for the boys is really important to practice. So we're going to have to do a whole swim video and mm. podcast on more technique and more tips, but practice sighting the boys in a pool, just looking up at the end of the pool. I would suggest about every second stroke you have a look for maybe three strokes just to, so you can really get your bearings sometimes. And, and after you've had a look, the key is to then kick your feet and get your feet back up because lifting your head to look, your feet will drop really quickly and your hips will drop and you'll slow down a lot. Um, another key component of my swim tips is do not ever use a pool boy. And a lot of people are totally against my views. <laughs> Jamie's probably against them, but I don't think... And I try to get all my clients 
to never use a pull boy. It just makes you incredibly lazy. It stops you thinking about technique, about body position. And in swimming, it's technique, streamline, and rhythm. And the streamline component of that is body position. So if you're not always thinking, how can I get my hips up higher? How can I get my feet up higher? How can I just be more streamlined? And you're taking that whole component out and you're only thinking about technique and rhythm, if you're thinking about them at all, um, or you've just chucked in the pool boy because you're getting tired and you're just not even thinking anything anymore, it's much more important to, I would say, put flippers on if you're tired. Um, just because you're going to get better momentum, you're going to be able to still feel the water. This is particularly for swimmers who aren't at a, at a moderate to higher level. If you're at a beginner level to medium, uh, flippers will help you feel the water better and keep your legs up. Treat, learn how to kick from your hip to keep your hips up by your foot hitting the top of the water. And that gives you that streamline component. So technique, rhythm and streamline are the three components that you all need to be um, sort of self-assessing self all the time while you're swimming. And then the core shorts, how, where do you think that they fit in? Are they better than a pool boy or in the same uh, sort of aspect as a pool boy? I think they are better. They're not as bad and I do use them on occasion because you still are kicking through your legs in that. It definitely makes you a lot faster. It does lift your hips up. So it does give you that sense of getting a better feel for the water, but you can still practice kicking normally. Your legs aren't just holding a pool boy between your thighs and therefore totally switching off and not using your hips to rotate. Because as you kick on one side of your, as you kick, say your right leg, that's basically giving you this really long chain of activation across your body to help it twist in the opposite direction as you brace against the water with your other arm. Now, this is not for every single stroke and every uh, all the time, but that's how it can work. To push your hips up, you're basically bracing from one side of your body at your foot to the other side of your body from to your shoulder and to your hand and pulling against the water. So if you just, you can still do that with core shorts and still feel very fast. But if you have a pool boy in, at no point are you lengthening through to keep your legs working, to keep your hips up. So yeah, I think they've got a time and place. And definitely if the weather's, if the water's slightly cooler, then I'm, I, that's when I use them in the ocean just to keep myself a slightly warmer um in the in the slightly cooler water and then if i were yeah had a really big break i might come back and use them for um a few weeks here and there just to get my speed until i start feeling better in the water because they definitely do help you get through a little bit more mileage in the water so does a pool boy people will argue absolutely and like i said i i know there are people there that will say that they love it and swear by it um but this is just my opinion of, of how I would to teach somebody to swim. And focusing on uh, the streamline rhythm and technique is uh, I would just make sure that you're thinking about those things all the time and getting as many miles as you can while thinking about those three things all the time, however that may be. Um, so they're my... Swim tips, James. Any more swim factors for in training? Quick things you want to mention? 
or in race? I, th- I think um, just on the other side of the coin from an age grouper's perspective, uh, I I would say that if you're going to enjoy your swimming more and um, find the sessions bearable, or if you are quite tired from a bike or run session and you just you won't jump in the pool unless you know you can wear a pool boy and paddles for part of your session and enjoy the session for what it is. It's not your job; it's your hobby, and you've got to love it. Then I would say put on the core shorts, put on the pool boy, put on the paddles, but not for the whole session. Yep. <laughs> and if you ever, I mean, I think you will notice if you use the poor boy, when you take it out, you feel like you're sinking. And that is my main argument, I guess, that you feel like you're sinking because you've just been swimming without any activation of your lower part of your body going on. So mm. if you use it often, then you're going to take it out and feel like you're sinking all the time because you're not learning how to put it in. And even just putting mm. it in for a short time can just detrain you into running or into swimming without trying. It might be a bit, I consider it a bit like if you just rode downhill all the time or if you were running, um, I don't know, running on like a super spongy, bouncy, soft surface all the time. Uh, I suppose just a different though, feedback. I'm, I suppose where I'm coming from is if someone's going to say, oh, I'm, I'm done, I, I feel pretty tired from my biking and running um and i've done a k and a half or 2k if i'm a beginner or medium um abled athlete triathlete i'm not going to do my another 500 or 1k because i can't use any gear um if they're going to do another 500 and 1k and feel really great about doing the full session then i would say yep whack whack on your gear and um and try and have a quality session for the rest of that session. And I would agree with you if <laughs> gear meant, you know, paddles or flippers or core shorts even. But by taking by putting a poor boy in, you aren't necessarily making it that much easier physically, like a tiny bit physically. It's much more about what you're doing in your mind and you are mm. switching off those neural connections in your body. Mm. So it's not that much harder. It's a bit like running um, with your hips backwards, like bent over at the hips. If you're really tired, then it's much easier to run with your hips back, but you will go much slower. Whereas much harder mentally to stand tall, activate your glutes to push your hips forward, make your legs taller. Your pace will go up, but it will feel so much harder to mentally switch on that, those muscles, to activate them mentally. So mm. that's my argument, yes, that it's much um, better to get more training done, but not at the expense of doing it without any thought um, and any neural activity, any, any control. And a lot of people, that's how they train. So that's the people that most people that are going to argue that they love their poor boy and um, they do better with it, I think they're coming at training from a very different perspective to my approach. And my approach is to get everything working as efficiently as possible and really focus on technique and really focus on what you're thinking about with every single stroke that you swim. How can you make an adjustment here, a little tweak there? And the the difference is because some people can't feel that. Some people don't have that awareness 
um, of where their body is or what it's doing or how oh you're telling me I need to lift my hips uh, okay well I have I don't know how to do that so you know people are on a really sliding scale of everything of of what they can eat how hard they can train how they train and how they activate their body how they find efficiency how they find the best in themselves so that is why yeah people will have different opinions on all these different topics because everybody is different yeah, um, everyone's at different stages. So, so yeah. you, you know, some people are at um, real beginner level with swimming, um, which is a, a lot of the time you have people coming in to, to do triathlon and swimming is definitely their biggest weakness. So would you say a pool boy would be good there to try and teach like a, teach a fast catch? No, that's where I come back to flippers. Okay, okay. Flippers are always going to trump okay. a pool boy um, because – if you are a slow swimmer, flippers will give you momentum that allows you to feel the water better, to f- start feeling streamline and the difference in streamline, to feel rhythm and to feel technique because you're not dead in the water. So, I mean, imagine, you know, if you are a good swimmer, I mean, when you do a deep water start, when you're just, you know, sort of dog paddling there and then suddenly, okay, the gun goes and you've got to start swimming from a standstill. Mm. I mean, that feels terrible in the water. I mean, you're trying to catch water while you're not moving. And I imagine, you know, and I empathize, that's kind of how it feels for a poor swimmer all the, every single stroke because they don't have enough speed to feel the, the momentum to be able to have good technique, good rhythm and good streamline. So that is why I, I really think that um, flippers are much oh, more okay. important to teach yep. people to lift their hips up, kick through to their leg and be strong from their hand through to their foot as one long straight uh, plank of Mm. wood in the water um, so that they can learn that streamline while feeling the water, good catch. Um, We'll have to definitely put some footage of you swimming, Pete, because I do find it very mesmerising watching you swim Um, and I don't like to watch people do sports without doing it, but I, I could watch you for forever swimming it's, it looks beautiful so i'll take your advice on the pool boy <laughs> oh converted someone excellent um all right now we're up to transition and basically quickly through transition um is it should be calm and controlled but fast so that you know hurry up um what do you do you, you slow down to hurry up so slow your mind down control what you're doing, be really relaxed and calm with your mind so that you're able to move faster and think faster with a relaxed body and a relaxed mind. So that's basically the key elements. Have everything really simply set up so that you don't need to make any decisions. You've only got a few things there, and but you want to be fast through it. Unless, of course, speed and time means absolutely nothing to your race result then, you know, take your time and definitely don't spike your heart rate coming out of the swim if you aren't, you know, racing for sheep stations because spiking your heart rate, it could go the highest it'll ever go all day if you're having to run up a bit of a hill on sand out of the water and that super high heart rate could just be enough that it pushes your body into such fight and flight mode and releases so much um, blood sugars and burns through so much glycogen or produces so much lactic acid in that sort of 30 seconds of running up a steep hill of sand that that could really come back to bite you in the bum later on in the race so just 
if you're not racing too hard um, and it doesn't matter, just really be slower through any tough uphill sections of transition. Don't fall over around the corners. But then, you know, just, but if you are, just be focused and things will move through faster. And I always find carrying a little, like it's almost a hand towel with you into transition if they allow it and just folding that in half and then putting your bike shoots, your bike shoes down um, and everything in line on that towel really helps. And then you can always wipe your face or wipe your feet before you put your shoes on with that towel. All right. Now we're onto the bike. And um, on the bike, in training, you want to have at, at, at practiced, you want to have practiced race simulation. So basically in training, be aero, be as efficient as you can, push with a mindset of I want to get from A to B as quickly and efficiently as possible. So that means that if you're doing a, you know, let's say you're doing a, a half an hour sort of circuit or something, then every little rise you come over, you're trying to stay as aero as you can, but you're really using your gears and you're not spiking your heart rate too much just because it's a half an hour effort. Imagine that you are doing this for, you know, the four hours or the six hours, whatever it is, so that you can really practice what you would be doing, what gears you would be using, what cadence you would be using if you came to a little rise like this in the race. So thinking about staying as aero as you can all the time in training, well, for these race simulation type rides anyway. So thinking about putting the power through your glutes and through your hamstrings and being controlled with your breathing and um, making sure that you know, you're being as efficient as possible. Um, consider that everybody will have different riding styles. Some will ride with their toes down, some will ride with their heels down. And it's going to feel good or worse for everyone else, uh, everyone differently. But if there is an opportunity at some point to get some advice from somebody, then it's worth trying out some other things sometimes. And try it out on the wind trainer where you can sort of be a bit more objective to whether your heart rate's improved, um, if you can monitor your speed or your wattage there as well. Um, Sorry, are you referring to bike fit yeah. on the bike? Yes, so if you can change, if someone's there to give you some advice, um, then go with it. But otherwise, don't second quit, second guess too much and just go with what feels good naturally. Um, and the same goes for when you're buying a bike. Just the same as when we were talking about wetsuit. It's all about the fit. Sometimes a more expensive bike is going to be a worse fit. It may also be technically harder to adjust the gearing or adjust your brakes or change any of those sort of components um, the same can be said on a cheaper bike but just look for a bike that will suit your abilities as a bike mechanic I guess and if you have no skills then you still want to choose a relatively easy bike so that someone who's going to help you is able to help you as well so don't go for anything too fancy make sure that you can access the the blip box or the control panel and the battery chargers and where you're going to adjust, micro adjust for the gearing. Though if you can adjust those things quite easily, that makes it a bike much more pleasant and much more um, easy to use and for somebody else to help you with if needed. Um, also, go with yeah the position that you are comfortable with, not necessarily one that you think is more aero or anything else and just get a bike which fits you best. Mm. You'll soon know, know if it's not a comfortable fit for you because you'll be getting 
knee pain. And if you haven't experienced knee pain before, then it's probably the wrong fit. <laughs> yeah. And everyone's going to have different cadence. So slow, slow, low cadence or high cadence, you know, just figure out what's going to be best for you with a few simple tests on heart rate and speed. It's pretty simple to figure out all of that. Um, now, on to figuring out how to train a little oh, bit better on the bike. Um, I was just going to training. say, I was just going to say on the bike, what helped me a lot in the really hot races, um, in a couple of my first 70.3s, I was able to finish the race in the Philippines when it was, I can't even describe how hot it was because uh, Pete would set my watch to go off every 10 minutes and I would know I had to take a sip of my water. And then every... Oh, your sports drink? My sports drink with my electrolytes in it. And then every, I think it was every 30 or 40 minutes, I would have some nutrition. So um, it also got got me to focus on the time and um, stay motivated throughout the race. Yeah, that's something that I did in Hawaii definitely every year. Um, Setting the watch to beep when I wanted to remind myself to have a drink and something to eat. It's like... Set your watch just to beep. It's it's foolproof. Um, and back a little bit. So I was just going to mention strength training, and people talk about how I, you know, obviously math training, maximum aerobic function training from Phil Maffetone, what he developed a long time ago. People find it quite hard on the bike to do that at a. Their heart rate is much harder to get to. Their math heart rate is perceived effort really hard, and I think a lot of that comes down to that they're not activating all their muscles by doing some heavy strength training so if you're not doing some heavy strength training to activate that large mass of muscles in your glutes hamstrings um, quads even then you're basically just kind of doing all the work with a very small amount of that being neurally activated it's amazing if you lift a heavy weight if you do anyone that's been in the gym knows that if you do a one heavy deadlift and then you put the weight down and go to stand up again, it's like, wow, your glutes are like spring-loaded. They're so, they feel so good. So if you came back again and did that weight, you know, five minutes later, it's going to be lighter than it was the first time you lifted it. So that's how quick the neurons activate. So it's not about building muscle to get stronger. It's about activating these neural connections so that the muscles are able to be activated. So I think that's where a lot of people struggle with math on the bike, that the perceived effort's very hard to get to math. And I think partly it's because they need to be doing some heavy weights on their legs so that they're getting high end neural activation. And then therefore, when they're going to ride their bike, more of their muscle will be being used. So uh, the flip side is that if you don't activate much of that muscle and you're only ever riding your bike at you know, you may be riding for, you know, five hours at a time, but you're only ever using and switching on like a very small percentage of the muscle mass. So therefore, it is going to feel harder. Your heart rate is going to be, you know, perceived effort is going to be really high because you're trying to do a lot of work with a very small amount of muscle mass. So when you can activate more muscle mass, you'll be able to do you know, that five hours or one hour, whatever it is, you're going to be using a large margin muscle mass to, so your heart rate will go up 
a little bit more so you'll be able to get to your math heart rate with less effort. Does that make sense? You're going to be using more muscle mass, so therefore your heart rate will increase. So you will go much faster and you will get to math heart rate at a lower perceived effort. So I hope that kind of makes sense. And like I said, that is really just a theory at this point. It hasn't been through any randomized controlled trials or anything, um, but definitely going to test it out um, with a few people over the next um, couple of months and see see how they can adapt with some sort of basically some max reps uh, in, the, in the gym to make it easier to get up to math and perceived effort will come down and pace will go up. So that's my little tip for um, doing some strength training. And obviously everybody knows about if you don't know, strength endurance efforts is what people call a lot of hill rep work. So when you're doing hill rep in a low cadence, it's basically you really need to be focused. Again, it comes back to being focused on what muscles you want to activate, just like in the pool. Focus on using the backside of your legs. So glutes, hamstrings, down through the heel, that backside of the leg is what you want to be using mm-hmm. more so than the front side of the leg. So if you're using quads and down pointing across down the front of your feet and feeling like it's more going into your toes, um, you're not activating the strongest muscles and you're going to really smash your quads and fatigue quickly when it does come to races or when it comes to riding longer. So strength hill repeats and low cadence. So is that, that like pushing down average and around up? 60? Yep. You definitely want to be thinking about the pull-up as well so definitely Mm -hmm. want to be thinking about lifting it up from your hip and making your pulling up on the pedal so that you're not making that foot heavy on the backside of your stroke so yeah those are keys uh for strength so i would suggest doing about five minutes at a time and then yeah roll back down the hill do do a set of four maybe have a break come back and do another set of four if you progress that far but at the same time, if you're doing it quite well and quite strong, four is easily potentially enough if you're in the sort of earlier stages because you really, it's like a gym session. So the harder you push, the harder you go, the more you will fatigue. So think about that, that you're just um, being able to do more work in a shorter amount of time. So the next part of we've got another transition, obviously. Um, bike to run and I definitely recommend in training doing plenty of brick sessions um, I know Jane loves a brick sessions uh, can you just what, what do you feel you're getting out of them um, I feel like the brick sessions just because I uh, I suppose I do the sport for fun and I do it as a social activity um, but I also do like to win on race day and I like to try and improve on my time but I don't have that killer instinct that makes me want to, you know, faint across the line or be sick across the line. I don't have that. Um, what the brick session does for me, though, it gives me the confidence on race day to run to the best of my ability off the bike. And um, I suppose without that, I'd be on the start line of the swim, which I have been in the past when I haven't done those brick sessions. And it's not an enjoyable experience because the whole time I'm second guessing myself and I've got negative thoughts going through my head of, 
Am I going to make it to the finish line? Just conserve, um, be conservative, conserve all your energy. You've got to make it onto the run. You've got to finish the run. I have all these fears that I'm just making up and it's just a story I'm telling myself. Whereas if I do a brick session, like often I'll be on the wind trainer if I get up really early um, and it's still pitch black and I don't want to go outside, I'll sit on the wind trainer and then I'll run off the bike and I just find I'll get into that rhythm and I'll picture and visualize myself in the race running off the bike and then sometimes I'll even picture myself coming down the finish chute or across the finish line. I experience all those really positive endorphins and I give myself a confidence boost. So for me, it's just about mindset and um, the mental capacity to actually take on the race. I'm a nervous racer. I have high anxiety when it comes to racing. Um, That's just my personality. So practicing that does a lot for me but I think it's also as you would say with the swimming and the biking it's all about neural connections it's about uh, building that aerobic base and um, I think you've got to build those those muscles and have those neural pathways um, really functioning and working for you for race day. Yeah and definitely any brick session is going to train your body to change its movement patterns and adapt quite well. So whether it be, as I just was talking about, the strength efforts uphill, you could then do a minute at the top in a really high gear and so still keep your heart rate up, but then suddenly you're pushing a really high cadence. Um, So then, again, that's one simple way of getting your body to adapt, but it's not just about getting the mind, the body to adapt. It's also about getting the mind to adapt, to change in input. So that's a big part of it, being able to switch over from okay, I've been focused on doing this one thing. Now I need to suddenly switch over and get my body to do something completely different. And that's why brick sessions are so great. So I love um, any brick session, but I particularly enjoy the the run, swim, run, I guess maybe because it's so different. You know, one, you use your legs, jump in, do a swim, and then get out and use your legs again. Um, I find that one just really beneficial for my aerobic fitness, but my I really enjoy it. I really relax into that second run. You'll have to start and doing the brec. Is it the brecker that people do? Is brecker, that the yeah, run maybe run? one day. That'd be nice. <laughs> we could do it as a team. I'd slow you down. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know. Pretty, pretty quick. Um, so, yeah, and so running off the bike in training does the same thing, whether it's three minutes or, you know, 30 minutes an or an hour. Whatever it is, uh, you just need to focus on how it's going to get used to how it's going to feel. And as Jane was spot on when she said, visualize how it's going to feel in the race. So, you know, when you are getting into that final prep of a big race, it, the brick sessions are key, I find. So a bit like the long run session and a brick session running off the bike, um, a race simulation session on the bike. These ones where you can really picture yourself how it's going to feel at a certain point in the race and you'll feel those tingles through your your body and on your skin when you picture how it's going to feel. So visualize being in the race when you get off the bike for a a run in a brick training session and it will just get, it'll be that much easier on a run. It'll be familiar. Uh, I used visualization a lot in 2012 that was one of the key additions that i made from from the previous year that helped me get from second into uh onto the top step and uh, a lot of that was how am i going to feel at this point if such and such was you know in if i was in a sprint finish with them 
And I've talked about it a lot before, but yeah, just being able to bring myself into the moment and take away doubt. So I would feel a bit weak. I'd feel a bit doubtful about how I would have felt in that situation as I visualized it. But then just simply being in the moment saying, no, I love the challenge. I love the pain. I love the heat whatever it was, or just the word love, and that's what I was using in 2012, was a word of gratitude that made me be present in the moment, which took away all fears and doubts. So definitely something that I recommend you practice in training to start to be able to switch off your mind. So for Jane, she definitely needs to start practicing a, a gratitude practice so that she becomes more adapt to being able to switch off her brain and be in the present moment quickly because that's not something that you can do if you're chronically or even not chronically but if you aren't practicing regularly to be in the moment it becomes harder and harder to become in the moment when you want to so you know that's why some people would say oh when i go on holiday it might take me a week before i feel like i'm relaxed that's if you were practicing like just a minute a day or a couple of minutes a day um, of a gratitude practice that brought you into the present moment, which cleared your mind of absolutely all fears, doubts, worries, stress, etc. because nothing exists except you in this moment. Then imagine that you could get to your holiday and just basically do a, a, a couple of minutes of gratitude practice in the, in the first day of your holiday and bam, you're, you're there. You're just staying in that mode for the mm-hmm. whole time you're there. It's not like, you know, you're in this chronically stressed state where you don't actually understand why you feel better at the end of the holiday. <laughs> but, well, it's because you've finally, your mind has toned down and stopped being so reactive and stressed. And it took you that long, though. And then, you know, now you're back at work. Mm. So if you can practice that while you're at work um, so that as soon as you leave work, when you're driving home in the car, you can just take a few deep belly breaths and let everything go, be in the moment, and bam, then you know, you've left everything behind you. So, or training is a great time for that as well. Um, being able to swim, bike, run, go to the gym, and be in the present moment when you're doing any of those movements, that is, you know, obviously a lot of people swear by that that's their quiet time, that's their time away from stress. But it's not, it can't just be, oh, that's my time away from stress where I turn on music really loud and, you know, just get my central nervous system all amped up by pushing really hard or doing really hard sprints or sweating it out and, you know, feeling those adrenaline rush. That's only going to amp up your nervous system more. So, you know, you've just got to find that balance of doing what you want to do. And you can do intensity efforts, you can do really heavy gym workouts with a really calm mind. So anyway, getting way off topic here, Mm -hmm. just practice that in any situation that you want, particularly when you, um, if you can practice it a little bit each day. But I think, I think you're spot on there, Pete. Um, I was actually listening to Jack Jack Canfield, the author of Chicken Soup for the Soul and also the success principles. He was being interviewed by, I think it was Dave Asprey. Um, Bulletproof Radio. On, uh, on Bulletproof Radio. And I was listening to him and he was just um, saying that if you ask uh, all the top CEOs and 
people that you see as successful in life, if they do practice mindset and mindfulness and uh, being in the moment um, type techniques that Pete just spoke about, you will find that all of them do some sort of mindfulness technique practice in their daily lives. And um, that's why they're able to juggle so much and take on so much stress because they've all got it compartmentalized. I do remember doing a session um, with a friend of mine and we were doing a track session and she kept going and checking her um, phone and she was checking work emails and personal emails and texting back to people in between our efforts. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, I've got to check my phone. And um, you know, a few weeks later, she had uh, she found out she had all sorts of hormonal issues, adrenal fatigue, um, still hasn't recovered, and it didn't surprise me because she wasn't able to be in the moment. So, yeah, Pete, I think that was really spot on. I think we should be doing a podcast in the near future um, on those mindset practices because we all need to start making them a part of our daily practice. All right, we'll get some nice chilled music in the background. <laughs> And on our meditation voices for people, and well, um, we'll, oh, that we'll, sounds we'll, a bit we'll creepy. Take them through some meditation <laughs> yeah, Don't well, do that voice again. Need please. a bit of practice, obviously. Um, so okay, we're, we're going that pretty was long. The, that was a bike. That was a bike. Uh, oh, oh, we haven't done the run yet. Okay, so obviously, oh, can I just say something the about run, the bike? Sorry, quickly about the bike. If you're a beginner to um, medium, um, medium. Um, athlete, which uh, I still consider myself on the bike as being, practice being in the TT position and drinking in practice, drinking your bot- your bottle of water. Um, that's been a massive game changer for me. It just means when I'm in a race, um, I can keep doing my effort because I don't need to sit up and take a sip of a water bottle. I can just do it from the aero position. Cool. So we, <laughs> we've started the run. Okay. We've done some brick training. Yep. So we're feeling confident when we get off the run. Awesome. Um, and then really what else is there to say? We're going to have to do a whole podcast on run technique um, and a bit of a video that's going to be, that we'll do that. <laughs> um, but basically if you've survived the bike and you're getting off and you're feeling pretty good, then just don't blow it from here. Really take a few <laughs> little sips, take little sips of whatever it is you want. Take little sips of Coke, little sips of water, little sips of electrolyte, whatever it is. Um, just don't drink too much um, and don't go out too hard. I mean, it's crazy that triathletes for some reason think that after swimming and biking for hours, they think they can somehow go out really hard on a run and come home even stronger. And yet if you watch someone on the track, even an 800 meter race, they pace it, they negative split it. So yet we all seem to go out faster at the start thinking that we're, you know, it doesn't affect us the whole you know, fatigue factor and that we don't need to pace. So consider pacing. Consider that, a, that a, even a short track race will pace it um, and try and negative split your run every time you're out there. So that's why I recommend wearing a, a watch that has your pace. If anything, it's because you need to hold back at the start of the run so that you can come home strong and not be blown up and dying in the end. So little bit of nutrition tips now. Um, look, it doesn't really matter. If, you, if you're a beginner or even if you're an experienced athlete, it doesn't really matter what you take. It's all going to raise your blood sugar if it is sugar of any kind, any type of carbohydrates. 
you're going to get a response from it. So just have something that you enjoy, that you can handle. It doesn't really matter. But if you want to go faster, don't... Um, I would suggest don't eat anything solid because, yes, your gut is going to have to do work to break down those things. That's hence why gels and sports drinks are rather popular because it is much easier on the gut. You don't have to digest them as much and they're a much easier source. So all the blood is out at your extremities. All the work is going into pushing your muscles um, along as hard as you can so you don't want to be adding extra stress to your body by giving it something that it needs to digest if you are pushing quite hard at that time but having said that if you are going a bit cruisier just have or even if you're going hard have what you enjoy so it doesn't really matter whether it's lucasaid gatorade powerade you know whatever it is apple juice um, no name maltodextrin that you got off bulkbuyers.com. <laughs> it just doesn't matter. Um, just something that you've used in training that you're happy with, that tastes good, that you get a little buzz out of. So maybe combine a few things. And um, that's certainly how I did my first Ironman was combining a few things. And I think it was probably something like a, a bit of a no name starch. It was probably a bit of a no name maltodextrin. And I think it was even, um, like caramel syrup or something from from memory, so it was a very weird concoction that my um, my mentory Iron Man older athletes that got me into Iron Man that's what they used and so I used that and anyway it was one of my one it's still one of my best Iron Mans I've ever had my first Iron Man as an age grouper uh, I went nine <laughs> hours thirty three and basically exactly the splits that I was aiming for you could so, have had a Sunday you just needed a scoop of ice cream. Oh, I know. I probably had plenty of ice cream <laughs> afterwards. Yeah. And um, so little, 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 let's go back into training a little bit. Um, just thought of something. In the lead up to the race, don't run too much. You're still going to be swimming. You're still going to be riding. You mean not, taper week? Yeah. So in your taper week or taper three weeks, um, as it would be for someone doing an A race Ironman, you really want to dial back the running. Running will really tie your legs out. Um, the impact so any it, because it is you know the gravity and the weight of you um, and the impact it's a lot more stress or a lot more oxidative stress that your body's then got to deal with so just focus on the bike and the swim and just do minimal amounts of running it's always going to make you bike better if you run less um, I've always biked best when I've had a little bit of an injury and end up hardly even running for two weeks before the race I ended up right I ended up riding you know, much better than I ever have in those races. So um, just dial back the running, definitely. Um, so back to nutrition and a little bit in the race. Um, the main problem, the main problem that people have in a race is that they eat too many carbohydrates because their gut gets blocked up, stops digesting at all because it can't, there's too many carbohydrates in there. And then they have gut problems. They'll be vomiting, they'll be feeling sick they might even be pooping out the other end um so basically train your body to use less is where we're getting at and that gets us to the mention of low carb and fat burning fat burning so basically to be able to use less and rely less on sugars during the race you want to be a better fat burner i mean pretty much every triathlon race for pretty much everybody Maybe there's a few special ones. 
for every race, for everybody, it's an aerobic event. So that that means you're going to be using mostly fat if you are able, if you're adapted to using fat. So that means you're not sprinting. You're not going full glycolytic and burning only glycogen in the event. So if you can train your body to be better at that, at better at burning fat, better at keeping the glycogen reserves in your muscles, then you're going to have a better experience. You're going to perform much better. So that doesn't just mean that you want to do long aerobic math training, maximum aerobic function, which will increase your fat burning by not going too hard. Because going too hard can use up the glycogen and release glycogen into glucose so that your blood sugars will rise. Even if you haven't eaten anything, just because you went too hard, the liver will release glucose into your blood. So there's many reasons why not to go too hard. Um, but mostly it is so that you become a better fat burner, less reliant on sugars, and therefore you don't feel like you need to be stuffing a gel down your mouth every 20 minutes and risking the highest failure rate experience, I guess, of what happens in a triathlon, the gut cramping problems. So don't risk it and just work towards taking on less. So that still means you might still have 50, 60 grams of carbohydrates an hour, but it's nowhere near taking in, you know, any more than that and you're starting to get on into like pretty high levels so let's just say that you could probably do it on a lot less than that um, especially if you're not going super hard and you just want to have something that makes you happy so I didn't sort of mention that when I said let's have something that makes you happy it's because your brain controls so much of what you do that if your brain is happy it will allow you to use more of your muscles. It won't be like, oh no, I'm getting stressed, I'm getting under pressure, I'm getting tired, and therefore start shutting down some of those neural pathways that is going to make you slow down. So excellent book, Endure by Alex Hutchinson. Highly recommend it. It goes into so much detail about how we are controlled by so much of perception, perceived effort, placebo and our brain mm. um so that's just short little bit have what makes you happy what makes you feel comfortable safe and that will allow your body to be relaxed and perform as good as you can so that's what i'm saying just it doesn't really matter it's all going to end up as as uh, increase in your blood sugar at any point um, avoid increasing your blood sugar too much if you can figure out how to just have enough just to keep your blood sugar stable uh, that's all you want. Um, just have a little trickle in often rather than a massive dump at any one time. And this goes for training as well. If you're out training and you do get a bit tired and you need to stop, then just get something and limit yourself. And if you have to buy that bottle of Coke or bottle of Picari sweat or whatever it is um, <laughs> that makes you happy that you like the taste of, try and just have like some of it then and then, you know, put the rest into your bottle and then continue to sip that over the time, over the next hour, say. So that's if you've run out. If you've got your own on board, just keep sipping it all the time as needed. Um, and that's what it comes mm. down to. When we're telling people about low carb, it's more that don't have any, but just have it as needed. And there's a lot of nuances of when, how, timing, training, all of that stuff, which we're not going to get into. 
um, any of those sort of and recommendations every, because we could be here for hours. And everyone's quite different. But the whole idea of trying to become a better fat burner and um, that's why you, you train most of your time at math is uh, also for longevity in the sport and for what you're doing. You don't want to, uh, like I think most athletes they, these days, they have injuries leading into their race or they're just simply burnt out, fatigued, and they say they don't want to do another triathlon after they've crossed the finish line, which is so sad. You shouldn't feel like that at all. Yeah, and food affects all of those hormones in terms of uh, in avoiding injuries. It, it, food affects how your bone strength, food affects your mental uh, capacity, how you feel, whether you're depressed. I mean, so it's such a big factor, which is why we're not really going to get into it too much of that now. <laughs> that's another podcast. Um, so, I mean, that's it. We've, we've done the run and there's so much about run technique, but let's just say for running technique, uh, we spoke a bit about swimming, so we'll give a little about running. Running technique is basically cadence, posture, and where your foot lands. So... Cadence is controlled by your arm. So if your arm carry is wide, slow, low, basically if your arms are swinging at a very long, slow way and they're, they're covering a lot of ground, even if you're running slowly in a jog, your legs will be also turning over very slowly. So when you are jogging and quite slow, you want to keep your arms quite close to the center line. So let's think of a ice skater when they're on the ice and they're going into a, a pirouette, I guess that's what you call it, when they're spinning on the spot. When they come in really, really tight, they speed up because the centrifugal force allows their body to be spin much faster. And then when they let their legs and arms go further from their center line, they, the spin slows down. So that's how, think of that when you're running. If your elbows are wide from your body or if your hands are low as well, then they're a long way from the center line of your body. You want to keep elbows quite close to your body, your hands sort of just a little bit in front of you, like just a, almost, almost touching sort of thing. But Well, not touching, but just in front of your pecs, we'll say, so that they're not moving too far, that they're moving a minimal amount, just tap, 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 back and forth, but not too far. And this is going to require more videos and so on. But <laughs> So the... Arms control your cadence, so figure out how you can get your arms to do less work and at a faster rate, um, traveling over less ground with each swinging of the arms. Next is posture. Run proud. Run with your hips forward, making yourself really tall. To do that, there's a really good little tip, is basically squeeze your glutes together and that will push your hips forward and you'll get that sensation of being tall hips forward, legs longer, and, and then your footfall will naturally fall back more underneath you. If you run with bent hips, your foot will land more in front of you, more as a heel strike. And then but by tensing your glutes, pushes your hips forward, and then try and hold that position, a slight lean from your heel up to your head, forward, a slight lean forward the whole way as a straight line with your hips in line. Don't let your hips drop back. So we've got cadence with the arms, posture with the hips forward, little glute, push them forward and chest up and make sure that you're not taking your head back too far at all. I find looking just about, you know, five to 10 meters in front of me, keeps my eyes looking down a little bit and keeps that, um, that 
weight of my head, just that same slight lean forward that the rest of my body is in. And then your foot landing. And I like to tell people, think of your foot landing flat-footed, but with the majority of the weight in the forefoot. So if you can gradually work your foot, if you're a bit of a heel striker, if it lands in front of you, think about gradually getting that foot to land a bit further back, closer towards underneath your hips, landing flat-footed with the majority of the weight on the forefoot. So don't ever run with a tense calf thinking I need to run just on my tippy toes. No, you want to be hitting the heel and the forefoot together, both taking some weight, but you know you want to put more of the weight through the forefoot and that's the way it's built. But we'll do a whole podcast mm. on swim technique, um, bike technique and some sessions there and run technique is definitely going to be a big one too. But if you want to have a look at some great video footage of uh... – I suppose Ironman triathletes or 70.3 triathletes, check out the old video footage of Chris McCormack running forward and proud. Crowey, uh, Craig Alexander does it really well. And Pete, Pete Jacobs that's speaking right now. He has ran a 242, is it, in Kona, Pete? And a 241. And a two, oh, 241. <laughs> I'm not good with knowing your I've times. I've run both. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, which is still, I think, considered to be the fourth or fifth fastest in Ironman history in at the World Champs. So Pete knows what he's talking about. And um, we will have to do a whole podcast episode on run technique and running and the psyche of running as well. So to wrap it all up, if you are the type of athlete that focuses and is aware and wants to be aware of efficiency, technique, um, then, you know, keep following us along because I'm going to be putting out more of that information for sure and hope you got something out of it here. And if you're just a beginner, then hit (laughs) us up with some more questions of what you need to do. And Jane will do a great job of answering those questions and I might be able to help I feel a little like bit. I've still got the beginner mindset even though I've been doing the triathlon for a while. Um, so so do the- I. We're all still learning. That's the thing. We're always still learning. Yeah. We always still want to see ourselves as a beginner with much more to learn. And the know? number one thing is to smile, have fun and make new friendships. So if you would like to make some new friends in Pete and myself as well as your fellow team members, uh, Pete and I do do one-on-one health, fitness coaching, triathlon coaching and performance coaching. Um, We also do offer a six-week life change program as well. So not only will you experience one-on-one coaching with um, Pete and myself, you'll also um, be involved in a group atmosphere in the form of a webinar once a week and receive our recording as well as be part of an exclusive Facebook group too. So feel free to go to our website. Um, We do offer free 15-minute consultations, see if we're the right fit for you. We'd love to help you uh, feel better, uh, live better and look amazing. Thanks so much, guys. (laughs) See you later. Bye.